It's been decades since I've lived in one of the most beloved cities in the world. I was about nine or 10 years old when we moved from New York to New Jersey. But my connection to the Big Apple is so strong that at times I just long to walk down a busy Manhattan street to window shop or to get caught up in a rush of the sea of office workers schooling their way toward Grand Central Station. I think about my great-grandmother's brownstone in Harlem and her church on 125th Street. And at times, I feel like I miss it. <laughs> I'll drive down the Major Deacon Expressway and a Stevie Wonder song will play in my head. And it instantly brings me back to my childhood and I'm riding in the back seat of the family car, a 1970 Plymouth Valiant, and I'm dazzled by the lights surrounding me. My love for New York City was the reason why for so many years, I only wanted to work there. I loved commuting on the trains and the buses. I loved the rapid walks and the brisk weather, the bagels and the pizza, the museums. I loved all of it. But now I'm here, almost a 10-hour drive away from this place that I continuously long for within my heart. And I recently discovered that this longing that I have for New York is defined as hereith. It's a noun, and it means a homesickness for a home to which you cannot return, a home which maybe never was. The nostalgia, the yearning, the grief for the lost places of your past. I'm going to add this word, hereith, to my list of favorite words. So this podcast is dedicated to my love for New York, Enjoy this spotlight on Harlem. Let's unpack. Here we go. There are many stories in Harlem. Some will be forgotten. Some will go untold. But the stories of the pain, the struggles, Life and love of Harlem live in people like Dr. Charles Felton, Ilyasa Shabazz, and Deacon James Ford, who all tell their stories to help keep the spirit of Harlem's past alive in a very special way. I'm standing on Malcolm X Boulevard in New York City. This is the heart of Harlem. And although some people feel the pulse of black culture still beats right here, others see a rich history being lost and destroyed as new businesses invade. The brownstone homes that line the streets weave their way into the very fabric of Harlem. Wedged between new businesses and stores, Remnants of the past, like the Apollo Theater, where artists like 
Ella Fitzgerald and James Brown got their start, and the world-famous Cotton Club that introduced Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, and Dorothy Dandridge to the world are becoming the only visible reminders of why Harlem was often called the capital of black America. Harlem historian Michael Henry Adams keeps the memories alive in his book, Harlem Lost and Found. Harlem is a special place with a special history that is embodied in remarkable buildings, many of which survive and um, create an extraordinary record, not just of black Harlem of uh, 20th century, but of um, 19th century Harlem, which was this multicultural stopping off place of every immigrant group you ever thought of. The Dutch first settled here in the mid-1600s, but it wasn't until the Harlem Renaissance in the 1920s that more black people began to move into Harlem. Black artistic and cultural expression emerged, making writers Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston household names in the literary world. In the late 1950s, the fight for civil rights gained strength in the South. The Supreme Court ruled that segregation in public schools was illegal, and black leaders like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. looked to the Harlem community for support. But on one chilly Saturday morning in September 1958, Harlem nearly killed Martin Luther King Jr. When we return, find out why Harlem Hospital was the stage for what some may say was one of the most significant operations in Harlem's history. Check out drumsforlife.org. Hands on healing. The year was 1958, and Martin Luther King Jr. had just finished writing his book, Stride Toward Freedom, about the Montgomery bus boycott in Alabama. With a strong base of followers in the North, he traveled to a Harlem bookstore to promote his book. It was at this book signing event that he was met with the near fatal blow that made Dr. Charles Felton stay on duty at Harlem Hospital that day, past his shift. When I was a resident on the medical service and on duty in the emergency room of Harlem Hospital, more correctly, I would say, I should say, about to come off of duty, when the ambu an ambulance drew up at the hospital, carrying to the hospital Martin Luther King, Jr., who had been stabbed in the chest in a bookstore on 125th Street by really a crazed woman. That woman was 42-year-old Isola Curry from Georgia. According to police reports, she walked up to King, asked him his name, and then pulled a letter opener out of her purse and plunged it into his chest. As the medical re resident, I was asked to examine him uh, with this, because of this stab wound he had sustained in the chest. And he had in the chest, still protruding from the chest, a stiletto, a, a, a letter opener, which was moving with each heartbeat. The blade of the letter opener was close enough to his aorta that his whole chest had to be opened to remove it. 
and although Dr. Felton had a specialty in lung diseases, he didn't limit his examination of King to just his chest. So I examined his chest in particular, although I examined the body, but his chest, his lungs, his heart in particular, and found that he was, the heartbeat was quite normal, and his breathing was quite normal. And yet, this letter opener was moving with each heartbeat. Just about that time, the surgical team descended upon the emergency room to take care of Martin Luther King. Dr. Aubrey Maynard, the chief surgeon who performed the delicate surgery, said that if Martin Luther King Jr. had sneezed, he would have died. Before King was released into an embracing Harlem community, he received a letter from a young student that simply said, I'm glad you didn't sneeze. Although Martin Luther King wasn't based here in Harlem, Malcolm X called Harlem home. And today you'll see streets and stores named for him. But why is this 100-year-old building so important to preserving his legacy? When we return, Malcolm's daughter, Ilyasa Shabazz, will tell us why. Check out ObeyFoundation.org. Obey Foundation was established in 1998 to provide programs and support individuals and organizations committed to youth and community wellness. ObeyFoundation.org. Harlem provided a stage for civil rights protests and the Black Power Movement. During the mid-1960s, blacks were searching for identity, voicing their opinions about political policies, and looking to leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X for guidance. For some people, Malcolm X was one of the most powerful voices of black America at the height of his power. The white man brings it in. The white man brings it to home. The white man makes you a drug addict. The white man then puts you in jail when he catches you using drugs. But for others, his views were seen as a threat to the American society. And until the American Negro lets the white man know that we are really, really ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom, our people will always be walking around here second-class citizens or what you call 20th century slaves. What price are you talking about, sir? The price of freedom is death. Words that may have cost him his life. On February 21, 1965, El-Haj Malik El-Shabazz, Malcolm X, was shot to death while giving a speech at the Audubon Ballroom in Harlem. And Eliasa Shabazz, one of six daughters of Malcolm X, is at the forefront of the fight to help save the Audubon from being destroyed. We're very happy that we could transform a site that represented great tragedy. Um, with the assassination of my father. We've transformed a tragic site into the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial and Education Center, um, where we will provide a form, a, a wonderful facility to address the needs of oppressed people. Inside, the original lobby area reflects the past with marble pillars that line the walls. 
Although some of the original building structure remains, Harlem historian Michael Henry Adams believes that more of the Audubon should have been saved. And what they did was they saved most of the facade of the building, which is architecturally distinctive, and to save a little less than half the room that Malcolm X was killed in, and a little less than half of the lobby. And at the time I said, well, this is a fragmentary and frivolous process, and it would be better to destroy everything. But I realize now that I'm older that I was wrong, that enough survives that it does one very dramatic and valuable thing. What is left provides the most compelling indictment that you could have for them destroying any of it. That as you look at it and you say, this is so incredible, how could you have something of this quality and destroy a part of it? There's still enough that's left that it allows people to focus on a point of pilgrimage and identifying with the struggle of Malcolm X. The legacy of Malcolm X lives on in his daughter Ilyasa Shabazz, who writes about the memories she has of her father in her book, Growing Up X. You know, in my book, Growing Up X, I talk about um, some of the memories I had of my father, which were flickering images, but my mother had told a story about me as a child, always coming downstairs, or I'm sorry, going to the front door, waiting for my father to come. And when he'd come home, you know, we'd have these oatmeal cookies that she made, and we'd go and watch the news. And really that my father's voice was the only one I really responded to. And so after he was um, assassinated, she said she didn't know how to explain to a, a, a two, three-year-old child about death. And so what she did was she took these cookies and she put it on a plate near the door and I would get the cookies and be somewhat distracted. But today, Ilyasa Shabazz is very focused on keeping her father's memory alive in the hearts of the black community. You need, you know, your roots. My father said that a tree cannot grow without its roots. And so it's just really, really important for the, the development of young people and future generations that we preserve our history. And so that's what we have taken upon ourselves to do here with a lot of uh, support. What my father did for not only the Harlem community, but for pe people of African descent, the African diaspora, is that he awakened us or reawakened us to our rich heritage. A rich heritage that Deacon James Ford has embraced all of his 61 years living here in Harlem. But for Ford, preserving the legacy of Harlem is in the handshake. When we return, find out why you can't leave Memorial Baptist Church without one. Check out drumsforlife.org. Hands on healing. Memorial Baptist Church sits near the quiet corner of 115th Street and St. Nichols Avenue in Harlem tucked snugly between apartment buildings 10 blocks away from Harlem's center. It's not the largest or most popular church in Harlem, but people come from all over the world for the Baptist church experience. And an excited Deacon Ford is their host. It's just like being a maitre d'. Everybody act like they've been knowing you for 40, 50 years. Everybody wants a good seat. But I, like I tell them, they're all good seats here. We have a, a screen, a monitor screen. A, Everybody has a good seat. 
And then I greet the tour guide and he tells me where they're from. And, um, and I greet them. A lot of them look puzzled like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm here. Because we're so known around the world because of, people think we orchestrate our, our services, but it's not, it's led by the Holy Spirit. You can come on a Sunday when there aren't any tourists and the same type of spirit is in the church. Or you can come when the tourists are here and, and it's the same type of spirit. That's what they want. They do not see this in their churches at home. So we celebrate God with dance and music and everything that we have. We're spontaneous if you want to just jump up and say hallelujah because you never know what is on that person's heart. For Ford, even though Harlem has changed over the years, events like the death of Malcolm X still weighs heavy on his heart. We did, when we did the Malcolm X movie, we, Spike Lee and I, we went up to the Audubon Ballroom and I looked down and there was a floor a plan of, of, of the place. It was, it was, it was kind, of, um, kind of eerie, to tell the truth, you know. Um, then when you look back at, you know, the thing that hurt me the worst about it was, you know, I read several books about it. He never had a chance because he, they infiltrated his organization. Everything he said, everything he did, they knew about it. He never really had a chance. But Deacon Ford is taking every chance he can to spread the message about Memorial Baptist Church and the legacy of Harlem's church. And every guest will leave with a smile, a hug, and a handshake. And what makes me feel so good when I see the happy smiles on their face and how they greet me and I greet them and they say, thank you, it was wonderful, I really enjoyed myself. And I usually say, God bless you, tell your family and your friends of your experience here at Memorial Baptist Church. I never neglect my commitment to the church. I love it. I'm having a good time. I'm growing spiritually. And in my wildest dreams, I never thought that I would become a deacon. I thought I was unworthy. I thought I had to grow wings and have a halo. But Deacon Ford's halo is one of love. New stories will be told. New faces, new struggles, new pains. But one thing will remain. There'll always be Harlem stories to tell. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unpacking Season 2. Music is from an open source and non-copyright material use only. All permissions granted under Creative Commons. Editing by me, like this podcast, make it your favorite. Subscribe, Unpacking with I Am Franchone, giving you something to think about. Locate me on podcast platforms everywhere. Copyright 2021.